in this episode with my dad. Yes, my dad. You will learn how to make the most out of every living moment. You'll learn also how to reach out and connect with just about anyone. And you'll learn the value of changing tribes. Yes, I said tribes. What the heck does that mean? And how do we do it? Well, stay tuned and find out. The Life I Deserve. Sharing creative ideas, inspirational stories, and fresh perspectives that will empower you to live your life to the fullest. Hi, I'm Jack Canfield, and you're listening to The Life I Deserve by my good friend, Adrian McMillan. Hi there, this is Adrian McMillian, and this is The Goal Show, brought to you by The Life I Deserve, and I am honored today to have as my guest, my dad. My dad is a graduate of University of Houston with a bachelor's in business administration. He was married for 48 years, father of five, grandfather of eight, great-grandfather of three, owner of two houses and five acres of land in beautiful, sunny San Leon, Texas, near Galveston, Texas. Hey, Pop. How are you? Oh, just fine. So I'm honored to have you on the program today. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your childhood a little bit. What was that like? What well, was my childhood, I remember our, our address over on Sunset Boulevard in Southampton area of Houston. 1714 Sunset Boulevard, and it was a duplex that my dad had purchased in about 1940 uh, 40 or 41. And actually, as it turned out, my dad was able to get that at a very, very good price. So, should I tell him the price or what? It's up to you. Okay. I think the price was approximately about $9,000, you know, and and it was a time but uh, money was short, and we had gone through the, our country had gone through the uh, Depression in 1929. The stock market went down to, I guess, nothing or something like this. And of course, now it's at 2,000 points, 20,000 points, I love. And so uh, it was just a sad time as everything, and people were having a hard time. My dad was an employee of Southern Pacific Railroad, where he worked for 37 and a half years. And he was an electrical foreman at the T&O shops there in Houston, Texas. He bought this, he had a chance to buy this, uh, this, oh, this house that was going to be foreclosed on. And it was a duplex, a beautiful brick duplex in a pretty friendly color of uh, oh, kind of a yellow-orange brick and uh, tall and big building and everything like this and very prestigious street in a prestigious subdivision, Southampton. And uh, so he was able to get it for $9,000. I just thought that was just terrific, you know. Uh, so I would love for my audience to get to know your perspective on goals. 
That's one of the things we like to focus on in this show. For me, growing up, I, I discovered goal setting, I think, a little bit as a teenager, then really learned a lot more about it in my 20s. But I'm just wondering from the time you grew up in, was goals ever mentioned? Was goals ever talked about? If so, how was it talked about? Well, everybody should have, have goals in, in every, every part of your life. If you don't aim high, then you really won't hit your goal. And so you have to uh, have to be positive about your life and and uh, be have an adventure in your life and in your thoughts. So uh, you try to be very positive. And this, uh, if you feel good about yourself, it comes through your your eyes and your in the way that uh, you relate to other people. When you were growing up, uh, when when is the first time do you remember when anything was mentioned about goals or about about uh, how to create goals or you should have goals? Was that something that you heard in grade school or high school or college? What was your experience on that? Well, in grade school, even I think it was like in the first, second, well, I guess it's probably in the second or third grade. Well, uh, at St. Anne's, they had this class, and it was called Expression School. And it taught us kids to, uh, to uh, use expression in our, in our speaking and everything, that, you know, and uh, so ideals about it, you know, and the idea of the positive thinking about it, to use good expression, use, use a lot. It really get involved with things and uh, uh, show your heart, show what's going on in your mind too. I love that dad and you are the perfect person to be speaking to that and speaking about kind of living and communicating in a way that 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 delivers a lot of happiness and and uh, positive energy because I don't think I've ever seen anybody in my life light up people the way you do you you genuinely care about people and you regardless if how unfriendly the person may seem or look you do make that effort to to ask them how they're doing ask them how their day is going and um and a lot of times i see people just who i never would think would kind of come out of their shell but they do we were just at uh we stopped by the little candy shop uh, earlier, a little chocolate shop, and uh, the person there at first didn't seem very talkative at all, uh, but you, uh, you know, of course, you're so warm and welcoming, and you actually had that person talking about all kinds of childhood memories and growing sure up, do. and uh, it's very inspirational, and you played a big part in in my desire to, to do that to people because I, I, I grew up seeing you do that. And every time we get to spend time together, I see you do it more. And it, it inspires me even further. Oh, wow. What a compliment this has been. This is a really, really fine compliment from your son to be receiving things like this, you know, receiving gifts of his uh, pleasure and seeing you deal with other people. And seeing you being optimistic, you know, and it's been that way all week long. As, as Adrian has been taking me to these different places, you know, like, uh, like one time we went to Kroger there, and 
we had a funny conversation uh, with this uh, cashier there, and, and uh, she, you know, I told her that, you know, just decent. She said, "Wow, y'all look like brothers." I said, "Yeah." And I'm the younger brother. <laughs> yeah, isn't that something? And anyway, she, she of course, she knew that I wasn't the younger one. But <laughs> we have we have had a, an adventure every day that I have been here. You know, we start out uh, early in the morning. I go over there and get the coffee and the newspaper, and then we're coming back. And then we go uh, eat our breakfast, and then we go exercise and. Sometimes we do things in a different order than that, but everything we just every day has been an adventure. Yeah, and I love how quickly you adapt, Pop. I, it really is impressing me. I got you an iPad, and you are learning how to use it. And you're now creating stations on Pandora, listening to all kinds of different stations, calling people through FaceTime, and now learning Spanish through your <laughs> iPad. Oh, yeah. Very impressive. Right. And I've been meet people, too, uh, because uh, through that computer, it's an app, very fine Apple uh, iPad-type tablet. And uh, I've gone through the, uh, the course of instruction at the Dickinson Library, and the class starts uh, over again in February, and I plan to be in it on February the 1st. And so where I'll learn even more about computers. Not just learning how to use computers, learning how to take apart and assemble computers. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Very impressive. Very impressive. And I would love to kind of go back a little bit because you actually have accomplished a lot. You've gone to some different universities, studied many different things, and... I would love to hear about that journey a little bit and how you may have set one goal or another goal and kind of what your plan was. And um, of course, it's just natural going through life to kind of shift gears. We, we start going toward one goal. Maybe we decide that's not quite what we want. We actually shift that path a little bit. But I would love to hear about anything that you have to share along that journey. Well, um you know, just like Will Rogers and everything, this he was raised. Uh, he started out life in an um, Indian village, and uh, uh, his parents were uh, Indians. You know, and uh, well, going to different schools is like uh, uh, being in a different tribe. And I, uh, in the case of me going to three different colleges. It was really like three tribes, because the first tribe, the first tribe I was in at Texas A&M, in the Corps of Cadets, and uh, that was really really fun, you know, and and uh, doing all the silly things that the South boys would have us do, like wipe off a bus with shaving cream, which goes kind of like this: you hit your head with the shaving cream, and then you pull it down your face. Uh, oh yeah, those. Those Southerners made us do a lot of silly things, you know, and, and I was always uh, in trouble with those Southerners because I would get them back <laughs> any way I could, you know. One time I, I caused uh, two of them to be locked out of their, uh, their dorm room by the way that I had fixed the doors in a certain way that 
the closet doors would block the main door from opening up. And then they'd have to go go in and uh, go in and through the window. Hmm. <laughs> Luckily, I picked uh, I picked a, a, a two boys that were on the ground floor. They didn't have to climb in through the second floor. But anyway, <laughs> I, I fixed them. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they gave me a rough time the rest of the year. And then the next tribe was at uh, University of Texas. Where um, everything I was, I was really by this time I was a junior because I had successfully completed the two years at uh, at A and M, and so I uh, at the University of Texas I was in the uh, Orange uh, Orange Wings drill team, and I was at this for a while, and then uh, then I was having trouble with uh, uh, with my coordination and my. So I got out of that, but then I joined the uh, uh, the the uh, uh, let's see, University of Texas Men's Glee Club, and I thought that was a lot of fun. You know, we'd meet uh, a couple of evenings during the week and practice our singing, and we sang the songs from uh, oh uh, West Side Story, the songs from. Uh, South Pacific, and uh, oh, really, and sometimes there would be songs in uh, other languages too, like some of the songs from South Pacific were in two, two languages. So anyway, uh, that was really funny, really, really fun. We sang songs like Ballet High, and uh, um, Bloody Mary was always chewing beetle nuts, and <laughs> this, and uh, and the tavern, Milton Morris Tavern, that's Bob Bob Blackstreet. <laughs> and uh, then another song that we sang was The Streets of Laredo, which is a very, very sad, slow song that, uh, that really portrays the old Western days. And see, all of this was like being, at that time, that was my second tribe I was in. And also, at the, while at the University of Texas, we took a singing tour of Mexico. And went from Neville Laredo and then Neville Laredo and then uh, Sotillo and then Chapulca and then somewhere like that and then Mexico City. Wow. Yeah. Chapulca? Yeah. yeah. There's actually I one think we were all on the school bus <laughs> or something like this. And, and just, uh, we really had a good time. Wow, I, I love how you just adapt to these different tribes. You really do have a knack for connecting with people and for connecting with people who seem to be much different than you at times. Like you always find a way to connect. Do you have any advice on how people can connect more with other people? Well, another, uh, just be kind of um, you know relaxed, relaxed, and, and and where it shows in your face that you're relaxed. And you look them right in the eye, and you show them that their interest, you know, that you're very interested in them. And if you can, uh, say to yourself, you know, don't, I love you, and so on like this. And they, somehow, they pick up on this. They pick up on what you're saying. You're saying but that you're just kind of beaming that kind of energy. You know, that you're what you're thinking, I should right. say, you know. And... Uh, so, so, so this is the way that that has worked for me, and 
and sales and uh, in uh, uh, in life and so that's then after I left the University of Texas, I came on back that summer there. I uh, went I got, went back to work for the railroad again. I've been working every summer for the railroad. In the first summer, I was a roadway machine operator. In the second second year, I was a caller for the firemen's engineers. When I came back on that third summer, uh, they sent me way back to Alpine, Texas, <laughs> and living in a, living in a um, a railroad um, railroad car. It was a bunk railroad bunk car. And when we get to a place, they, they would, sometimes we wouldn't have water for a couple of days, and we'd have to use bottled water or whatever we could find water. But uh, then later on, uh, they would give us um, uh, we'd have electricity, and we would have mosquito netting and and so on like this that we sleep under, you know. And we would, uh, I think maybe even we had telephones sometimes, but um, living in those bunk cars and then this. So, so anyway, I was operating a machine called a cribber, and this thing dug the gravel out between the tires, and so the uh, the, the the kind of like a blade, like you see on a water wheel, and it would be it would pull that gravel out. And allow the tie to show more, the condition of the tie, and 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 uh, make the mounting holes show better, and everything. This you know. Anyway, I, I got hit by a stone, and it broke my glasses, and uh, and uh, I had to go. I had my uh, head checked here because I had received a bump on the head, so I went to Southern Pacific Hospital with my dad. And we were sitting there. And then, uh, then a man came in and sat down there by dad and was telling him, hey, did you know that um, they're hiring firemen now? Now, a fireman sits on the engine, uh, locomotive engine, at a seat right across from the uh, driver of the train, so to speak, uh, and he is the co- like the co-pilot fireman. What kind of challenges can you tell us about and how you dealt with those that might be helpful uh, for people to kind of learn from? Uh, I think automatically in our systems, we all have a way that we adjust and adapt for whatever conditions come about in our life. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, you just still have to have a positive attitude no matter how how tragic the news is, how tragic the event is, or you're being laid off from something. But uh, I was I was able to go to the University of Houston for my, uh, oh, it ended up to be, I guess, about a year and a half after that, to, before I got my degree, my college degree. So that was after the railroad? Uh, well, it was kind of during the railroad. During the railroad. Because I was, I, uh, it was my thinking that, uh, look here, I've got this good job. And this job pays a, a, a mature adult's wage. You know, they paid a good wage mm-hmm. to be a fireman or an engineer on the Southern Pacific Railroad. So I uh, felt honored to have this good job and uh, go into the University of Houston. And also, I was sometimes I was able to study on the job on on different uh, coffee breaks and everything. Just instead of just taking my full 
30 minutes or whatever time we had for a break or a lunch or something like this, well, then I would best study my books a little bit. Great. And and so I think in following along with your uh, your story earlier, this would be your third tribe, the University of Houston? That was yeah, your uh-huh. third, third, third tribe. college I was in, yeah. And then tell us how that was kind of a tribe and, and maybe different than the other schools. Well, it was kind of fun being at home and being back there with my parents and everything, this and with my sisters and brothers and everything. It was just really a lot of fun. And also, I had a Ford convertible at that time. And uh, it was azure blue when I bought it. And then I had it, then I had it, I had it painted black and had a red and white interior. And I added a continental kit to it and, and spinners and everything. It was really nice to be back at home. And I also was in a, a church group called the Young Catholic Young Adult Club. And the club that I was in was Rosarian Club, and I got elected to be president of that club. So yeah, besides the different schools, you you tried out many different industries, many different types of work, which I imagine probably even more so than a school was even probably a bigger difference in this tribe sort of sense, because uh, it's not just different people and a different culture, but a completely different type of mission or type of work that you're actually doing for all these different companies. Yeah, it is. It's, it's uh, I don't know, I think it, this teaches you to adapt and to adapt quickly, you know, to your new conditions. That's a great lesson. We have to constantly adapt. The world is always changing, and I think it's that the rate at which it changes is speeding up. And so it's so Very so much more time. important to adapt and to to know that that is a successful personality trait is to be able to adapt. The people that are really getting ahead in life are the people that are able to adapt quickly. Yeah. The first job I got out of college was with the United States Steel as a traffic clerk. And I'd actually made less than I was working for the railroad, but, you know, without a degree and everything. Yeah. That was kind of something that, um, I kind of expected that this would happen, you know, uh, that as I went into the first stages of um, of uh, the business world and everything, they said I'd probably be making less uh, working in business than I was with working in the railroad. But uh, see, the, the, my situation with the railroad ended because they took off the uh, fireman off the engine. They ended the, well, they call it the anti-feather bedding. You know, like we had really such a good job that it was like a feather bed. (laughs) (laughs) So so anyway, so that's the way they chose that. And so you did, you tried the steel industry for a while. And uh, what was that like? Well, that was interesting. But, um, and then later on, I went back, went into, the insurance, well, first real estate and then uh, insurance sales. Everything in my life has been kind of amusing, kind of fun. Like in the insurance business, I was, at first I had a, a big old a long red and white Lincoln. And then I got it painted. Then I got it painted, the whole thing painted. And it was all red. So that was kind of fun. Because I, I started on the insurance debit where I collected and sold insurance bills. 
Well, anyway, I met your mother, I think, those years after, you know, while I was in the insurance business and real estate. And I think even on top of that, I had the morning Houston Post route, too. So I had three jobs. So I met uh, my uh, wife, Glenda. And I met her at a... We had both been in this club called Bachelors and Bells. And they left in the... Uh, we They met in the uh, village. Kind of over there by University Bicycle Shop, if you're familiar with that area. And uh, at first... They, they were meeting there by that by that bicycle shop across the street from there, and then they moved over to Sharpstown Country Club. So I went there the first time to uh, to Sharpstown Country Club, and that's where I met Glenda. Now she was a really, really beautiful blonde with green eyes, and I. Uh, I asked her to dance with me. And in dancing with her, well, then I, um, I said, well, uh, <laughs> I'm 25. How old, how old are you? You know, I, you know, it sounds kind of abrupt and everything. And they just, but I try to use it softer words than that. But uh, he said, well, I'm 23. You know, and I thought to myself, oh, just the perfect combination, you know. And that she was pretty and slender and really could dance very well, you know, just beautiful. Had green eyes, blonde hair, just perfect size, perfect way. And so, um, Glenn and I got married. Uh, <laughs> After after about two months of knowing one another, and she she told me, well, I want to be married by Christmas, you know, so we decided to get uh, get married on December the eighth because it was a holy day and we had to both had to go to church anyway, and also <laughs> it fit in with the insurance business because I could get off on uh, on I'll be ready to go on Thursday. So we we uh, got married on Thursday evening, and we uh, we went to uh, I think it's Monterey. Monterey is where it was, you know. And we uh, had uh, dinner there, and the Marachis would play the music and everything. Like this and uh, it's, uh, it's so sweet, and you, you tip them a little bit for doing that, you know. And it's just a very good dinner. I actually had, in many ways, a perfect marriage because Glenn and I were married for approximately 48 and a half years, and we had five children, and they're all beautiful and all very talented, just like Adrian is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pop. That's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story and how you met and um, and really... I feel that, like I mentioned earlier, my my uh, my desire to connect with people and make them happy, make them fulfilled. I feel like that really comes from you, and I feel like also like my desire to to learn so much also comes from you because you have always been reading and studying, and it's always been impressive 
growing up, you always knew, okay, well, about this vitamin or this supplement or about this going on or this type of business. You always had advice. And I really appreciate that. And it's been very inspiring. So I feel like, you know, you complimenting me on being talented. I, I feel like a lot of that stems from, it was inspired by, by you always studying things. And it, it just, I feel, I feel at home when I'm studying things and I'm learning things. And it, it oh, comes wow. from you. That makes me feel terrific. It's humbling to be, to hear that praise, that such good, of, uh, good expression of, of thankfulness and gratitude uh, for, he's saying that I raised him, did a good job of raising him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, speaking of raising, yeah, how was it to raise five kids? <laughs> it was basically fun, but I found out. That is, if you have a core load of kids, you've got to be a very good listener, and you got to got to really learn the the, the uh, children's personalities, you know, because some some children are are um, overt and some children are covert, and uh, so a lot of times with the two younger boys, I hate to tell self tell you on this, but I'm, I'll I guess I'll. Uh, <laughs> apologize to David later on. But sometimes <laughs> he would he would taunt Matt, and and he and Matt would get mad because he's kind of an overt type person, and he'd be slugging and slugging David and everything, and he would be the one caught. <laughs> <laughs> and David would have started the trouble, you know. I think you know. I think it's typical when brothers are close in age. Um, I feel it like, is. yeah, I feel like I was sometimes trying to, you know, or, or, or a lot of us, other mm -hmm. kids were a lot of times trying to kind of diffuse mm -hmm. the situation, but, um, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes a mother or dad has to really listen to the kids and find out, find out the plot of the story that's going hmm. on and how it's, how the interchange is going back and forth. And who's doing what? It's just like it's an adult. You have to see who's who's causing the trouble. So there's a, before you before you become critical about by doing something about it. You know, sometimes I'd be going places with my uh, with my dad and his brothers and everything this, and they would be wanting to sleep late, and I might be out of the motel room in the back there looking at the the lake nearby or something like this and, you know, throwing uh, those flat stones into the water and seeing them bounce, you know, and everything, having some fun and kind of waiting for the adults to get on up and, and join me, you know. I feel like your appreciation is not just for people. I feel that you just take in wherever we go, you take it in and you see all of the the, the the greatness about it. We just went to the park across the street from here, and and uh, that was a fun adventure. Oh, you like that, yeah, and you yeah. just appreciated every little thing about it. And you also appreciated how you know you saw different things going on. Uh, there was some filming going on, and there was different people, different There's personalities. And you know what I, I love about you and Mom both is 
we always were aware about people around us who were less fortunate. And you both, it didn't matter if, if we barely had any money. If, if it looked like somebody around us was less fortunate, you would help them out. You would give them money or blankets or whatever you can. And that has been amazing. Just both of you give so have given so much and continue to. Well, there was an older lady that lived there in um, on the other side of uh, one four uh, of uh, one forty six in San Leon, and uh, she had a funny sounding name, Ms. McGillicuddy or something like this. But anyway, we even took my mother over to see her. And also at Christmas time, we decorated a Christmas tree. Balls and all, and decorations and all. And took it over to her house and set it up in her living room. Because she she wouldn't do that for just herself. But we were glad. And also my mother, I think, uh, we, we took my mother along with us. And my mother would trim the lady's hair every time we went over there. Very nice. I remember mom one time mentioning that a friend of hers didn't have enough money for medicine. And, um, and I, I, I quickly just sent money and said, well, give this to her, which I, I didn't really feel it was anything. I didn't really did feel like that was a big deal, but I remember her mom, uh, I think you and mom both going on about that, about how grateful you were that I did that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was because being inspired by both of you and how giving you were that it just felt natural. It just felt natural to do that. And, um, and it actually inspires me to want to, to create more success so I can help you more and whoever else I can help. Well, I remember one period of time there in between, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, we had been given, um, some turkeys. And so we found out that somebody, uh, had a fire or something. And so we, at an apartment complex near us, you know, so we took one or two turkeys over there, you know, and I think we found at least two people that had been affected by that fire, and so they accepted those two turkeys from us, and and it seemed like we got some more, and we found uh, some more apartments over there by Ezekiel's, uh, and everything, those back row apartments there where different people had, um, well, I think Glenda called the police department, and she found out to go back there and that, that, that there was a lady that was raising oh, a three, I think three children or something by herself mm. as a femisol. And um, somebody gave her uh, some Christmas money and, and uh, turkeys. There's nothing like helping someone else to make you feel better about yourself. You yeah, know, so uh, it's, it's oh, easy. Very, very true. It's easy for any of us to feel down or to feel that we have some sort of challenge, some sort of situation and feel sorry for ourselves. If we find somebody less fortunate, help them, you know, all those feelings seem to dissipate. Oh yeah. And you just, and you just feel, you just feel love and you just feel happy and uh, you, you feel like you're serving a purpose. Right. Well, whenever I go into a store, a lot of times I find, Oh, a greeting card. is Oh, that's, that feels like the way that I feel about so-and-so friend, you know? And so I would get the coordinate and this and the occasionally come up and I'd be 
ready them with my card to, to give them that and a gift. I'd always be shopping more than just for myself, but shopping for them. And I've I always thought that people that just only thought of themselves, I think they must be me, me people. Me, me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I was determined I was not going to be a me, me. <laughs> you certainly are not, Father. Yeah. You certainly are not. And it has been a pleasure to have you on the show today. And to be able to share everything that you mean to me, everything that you've meant to my life and continue to, to mean to my life. I just, I'm so happy that not just we get to talk about it, but that we get to share this with other people so they can, mm. they can learn from you. And also maybe this will inspire people to take the extra time to, to spend with their dad or to spend with their son and to really appreciate all that they have from that relationship. Well, this is the beautiful thing about being in, a, in in the retirement status now, you know, older and uh, hopefully wiser and uh, able to be with my children uh, at a time like this where you're not worried about business or anything like this. You're just worried about uh, having a good time with your child, you know, that uh, you feel so good in their presence, you know. And the child a lot of times feels good in in and, and patronizing and, and praising and uh, and <laughs> fulfilling the missing gaps of the parents' life, you know. How they help us have uh, really good meals and everything like this and really watch out for us and make us watch out about our health and make us exercise <laughs> and, and eat right and, and criticize us when we're not, not doing right. Like not criticize. Yeah. <laughs> but encourage, encourage, oh, yeah. because we want—I want the best for you. Oh, thank you. And I know you want the best for me. Yeah. Well, you are the best. No, oh, you're the best, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think we're going to wrap this up. Thank you, everyone, for listening or watching, and I hope this episode, this show, has inspired you to reach out. If you have a son, reach out to your son. If you have your dad around, reach out and make the most out of every minute. I love you, Pop. Love you too, sir. Can I have a hug? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Take care and have an amazing day. Love you all. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. My dad has had a lot of adventures in his life, and the theme throughout these adventures is that he took action. He listened to the feedback that he received he made adjustments, and then he took action again. This is how we move forward in life. This is how we get things done, and this is how we eventually achieve the life we deserve. I want to help you to do the same. So I'm going to provide you with a free gift. Just go to thelifeideserve.com slash action for a free guide on how you can take action to achieve your goals. Again, thelifeideserve.com slash action. Thanks for listening. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to live a passionate, fulfilling life. Subscribe so we can take this journey together. A journey of sharing, learning, and growing. A journey to the life you deserve.